This Dharma Talk was presented at the Austin Zen Center in Austin, Texas. For more information, visit austinzencenter.org. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. Wonderful to see you here on this kind of uh, first day we've been open for a whole week. I hope uh, everybody, those of you who come in the morning, got to sleep in. I did. I waited. it. Yeah, and here it is, the last day of this very hot month of August. And it actually is starting to feel like you can go outside without being miserable. And I've been enjoying the little bit, slight little changes in the weather. Um, so uh, my name is Pat Yangst. I see a lot of faces I don't know as well as many that I do. But how many people are here for the first time today? Hey, welcome, welcome. Four of you? Yeah, great. Um, so, uh, let me see if I can find my talk. Yeah, okay, yeah, it's there. Oops. It's always a surprise. But why is, okay. Um, Uh, so today, I was, I don't know why, well, I know how I got into this. I don't know that it's particularly uh, uh, the right time of year for it exactly, but uh, it, uh, I was reading Norman Fisher's new book called uh, The World Could Be Otherwise, uh, and I was reading the second chapter on, in that, which is the, uh, about the paramita, or the perfection of generosity. And it, it led me to think about uh, what we say uh, when we have... Can everybody hear me okay? Okay, be sure and let me know if you can't. I guess this is in the right place. Um, that we say in our meal chant when we uh, have Oriyoki meals, which we do at retreats here. Uh, uh, and so part of this chant says something that may be a bit mysterious to some of us. Now we set out Buddha's bowls. May we, with all beings, realize the emptiness of the three wheels, giver, receiver, and gift. So I I thought I'd explore that a little bit, this idea of giver, receiver, and gift. The emptiness of the three bowls. All right, what does that mean? I think people probably know emptiness, emptiness. We say that emptiness is the emptiness of the separate self. It's kind of another way of saying that we are we are all one. And I'm just curious. When I say something like we are all one, how does that land on you? How does how does that how does that feel? Difficult. Yeah. It's difficult. <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult. <laughs> Uh, it's one of those little things that we say and but most of us much of the time do not realize what that means at all and one of the things in this little saying is we want to realize the emptiness of the of the three wheels so we hear these little things like we are all one there's the emptiness of the separate self and uh there's a kind of a feeling of, of almost triteness about it, right? I mean, it's like, 
it's just something you say and uh, but somehow we have to get past we have to get past that uh, we have to actually I mean I mean we don't have to but uh, uh, if we could just realize this, if we could really realize it in our bones and marrow. So how do we go about doing that? Well, I, I don't have an answer to that question. Uh, I think of it as a koan. Um, do I need to define what a koan is? Uh, if, you know, all right, I will kind of try to define what a koan is. <laughs> A koan is a, a little, it could be a story, it could be a, a kind of a puzzling statement that isn't inherently obvious, uh, like uh, realizing the emptiness of the three wheels, giver, receiver, and gift is a perfect example of a koan. It's not a classical koan. We have books, of ancient books of classical koans that, you know, uh, uh, where some Zen, Zen a student gets enlightened by something his teacher said, like, my word. Um, and um, so, but, but anything can be a koan. Any, anything that, you know, that resonates with you. You know, sometimes, sometimes you hear something and it just, it just sounds true. You don't know what it is, you don't, but you want to you wanna explore it. So exploring a koan is um, a, a way to uh, find yourself to, more towards realizing uh, something behind the words, something much deeper than just what the words are. So, uh, so I wanted to talk a little bit about this fact that the giver and the receiver and the gift aren't separate, and uh, uh, just explore that a little bit. Not that I can realize that very much of the time at all. Um, so, what's a gift? Uh, I think to, for the purposes of exploring this topic, it might be best to avoid things like Christmas gifts and birthday gifts and graduation gifts and those kind of things because they carry so much cultural baggage, right? And there's a lot of stuff that goes on that uh, has, has little to do with the emptiness of the three wheels, although, of course, these kind of gifts also are empty of the three wheels, but it's a little harder to see it because, you know, you're... We're caught up in our um, fears and fixated ideas. Um, so, uh, uh, Norman Fisher, in in the in the chapter two of the, uh, of his book, uh, mentions the ancients' view of what gifts were, and this is a very austere from the Buddhism of 2,600 years ago when the Buddha was alive and he had to deal with monks and monasteries and those were his followers for the most part. So uh, what they defined then, uh, who they is, I'm not sure whether the Buddha actually said this, but the three, three types of gifts, which is first of all, material gifts, second of all, second of all the, the gifts of teaching, the teachings, the Dharma, and uh, the third one was the gift of fearlessness. So that's a wide-ranging set of gifts. I don't. I, I think in our modern way of thinking, in our modest, modern way of Buddhist thinking, we think that gifts are as a much more wider field than that. But uh, just looking at these things, the gifts of the gift of teaching. Now, of course, this had to do with monks and monasteries and 
and uh, the the followers of the Buddha that that he hoped would would be uh, spreading this Dharma and teaching people, and um, this was what they gave. Uh, but you know, even today, though, the gifts of teaching are still very much an important part of our of our gifts. Um, how many times do we hear somebody say something that just kind of really deeply affects us and maybe even changes our life or at least encourages us to do something different than what we're doing? Um, this happens all the time. We hear things. and I mean, there's things people have said, people maybe that I didn't even know very well or maybe in a talk I heard something or uh, a friend just casually mentioned something. And at the time I heard it, I didn't think that much about it, but then it just resonated with me, and I've never forgotten it. I think that's so amazing, some little conversation, and I've never forgotten something somebody said. And, of course, that person doesn't know they gave me a gift. And then, by first, how many gifts am I dropping along the way? How many things do I, do I say that maybe help somebody that I don't even even know? I, I don't even know that I'm, I'm doing that. And um, um, so... You know, there's all kinds of gifts of teaching, and of course we uh, we uh, uh, we vow to enter all dharma gates, and you know, a dharma gate is a teaching, and it can be any kind of teaching. It can be a formal teaching, or it can be just your experiences in life, and those are always happening. Um, but you know, um, maybe thanks to the Mahayana, which was which kind of roughly occurred 500 years after the time of the Buddha, uh, and Mahayana writings appeared, and this this way of thinking had been growing ever since the the Buddha was alive. Uh, more of an idea of a of a uh, the Bodhisattva, uh, the idea that all of us are a potential Buddhas. And uh, I think the practice became a lot more personal. I don't know whether that was the intention of the Mahayana, but I think those teachings uh, are more what, what we practice here. It's a more personal kind of teaching. And um, so our idea of gifts uh, has expanded into thousands of gifts a day that we get. Um, some people speak about it as gifts from the universe, gifts that... Uh, come to us and circulate through us and um, maybe uh, someone helps facilitate them um, but they're shared and um, you know things as simple as a smile we have to think really small I think we I think it's I don't have to but I think that thinking really small is one way to kind of get kind of get a little um, uh, fork into this on, you know, to kind of start to, to tear it apart and to open it up, um, that we uh, think small and think of, um, you know, the all the all the little things that, that happen to us just in an hour or even in a minute that are our gifts, our gifts from the universe. And our some people, I think this was something uh, uh, that Norman said, that this life circulating around and through us. And they seem to come from, a, some of them seem to come from a, a giver, another person, but maybe, but do they really come from that person, or are they just coming through that person, you know? Uh, so thinking about a smile, you know, uh, a smile, a giver, or somebody smiles at 
Maybe you smile at somebody you don't know, somebody that's kind of glum. And it takes a little bravery to do that sometimes. You know, you're, you start to think, oh, what if they think I'm really naive? Or what, if, what if they laugh at me for smiling at somebody I don't even know, you know? We, we get hung up with things like that. And, um, but if we're brave enough to smile at somebody, we don't know or, or, whether they'll scowl at us or, you know? but they may break into a smile too. Uh, and even if they don't, We've still given them. we still given the gift. We've given the gift, um, and uh, that alone uh, can make us feel better. Um, so a, a smile is something that passes through us. The smiler probably had people smile at him, so the smile passes on, and then the receiver smiles. And now this, the receiver's giving a gift. So there's a little, little mingling, commingling there of receiver and gift. You know that uh, um, it's not just a, it's, it's a shared, it becomes a shared thing. So that the smile is also part of the thing. It's the gift. So some people call the gift the dance, the dance that the giver and the receiver do around the, this uh, goodness thing. So I wanted to mention the bounty of the universe. Um, you know, uh, several people mentioned, I wasn't here when Norman was here um, back in the beginning of August. Now, I'm sorry I missed him, but uh, it came up in, the, I think, Marco's last Dharma talk that somebody asked him if he believed in um, the... the um, forget how they worded it, but if the universe was uh, nourishing, if the universe was uh, supporting us or not. And he didn't answer it. And uh, then I think someone, maybe the same person, asked the question later, and he still didn't answer it. And people were kind of kind of wondering about this. Why, why did not he answer this question? And, and I'm not sure why. But I did notice that in this one chapter that I read in the book, just about every single page reaffirms the bountiness of, bountiness, is that right? Uh, of the universe. Just about every page. I'll give you an example. On page 33, he's, or on page 32, he says, the natural abundance of being. And he also says, we always have possibilities. On page 33, he says, life itself is generous. Life is always making more life. Life is abundant and expansive, never stingy or small-minded. It keeps on going, bubbling up and expanding whenever it has a chance. On page 34, he says, why can't we be as generous as trees? On page 35, he says, you sit in the middle of the great gift of limitless imaginative life. Page 36, he says, love actually is built into the order of reality. So I would say that this is a universe-affirming person. Uh, why he didn't answer the question, I suspect if he heard it and, and, and thought it out, he might have been teaching. He might have been knowing that just answering something like yes or no or oh yes, the universe is bountiful, is kind of like saying we are all one, you know, that it can sound trite. And he knew that we have to realize these kind of things on our own. And... Uh, and it would be much uh, more meaningful us when, when we do that. Of course, he could have said, why don't you buy my book? 
Well, when you think about it, if we don't see the world as thankful, if we don't see the world as um, as um, a constant gushing forth of everything, of nature, of uh, ideas, of uh, imagination of all the possibilities that it that it offers if we don't see it that way how could we possibly be generous how could we possibly do this practice really um, and if we do see it that way it's a lot easier to be generous another thing that uh, Norman said was uh, he was talking about ownership and he said that ownership is is a myth Ownership, well, he didn't say it was a myth. He said it's a, it's a cultural convenience. The ownership, and in, uh, in, just like ownership is empty also. Um, and when you think about it, I mean, you know, we own land. We own land. Isn't that crazy? I think the Native Americans thought we were crazy for having an idea of owning land. They didn't think like that. Um, we feel like we own our bodies, but we're really just using them. You know, our talents, our beauty, or lack thereof, we're just borrowing it. Um, so when we know this, because we can't take it with us, you know, all those Egyptian pharaohs that they used to build their big tombs and put all the valuables in them so that they could take it with them. I don't think there was any evidence any of those pharaohs used it. Um, and uh, then Norman mentioned, and he mentioned a friend, a friend of his who felt guilty because he owned a great big house and it was on the edge of the Pacific Ocean, overlooking the ocean, and he felt kind of guilty about it. And Norman said, don't worry, it's just temporary. So, <laughs> I like that. Sort of makes you feel uh, don't have to worry about wanting possessions. That's just temporary. Um, so this idea of giving, giving and receiving. Yeah. What's what's hard? How many people in here uh, think about which is harder, giving or receiving? How many people think that giving is is harder? How many people think receiving is more difficult? Yeah. Too? So there's actually well, actually a few more that a lot of people didn't. Maybe the other people don't have trouble with either one. So. <laughs> or trouble with both. <laughs> or equal. Yeah. yeah, right. What gets in our way? What gets in our way of giving? What, what kind of things? Fear. Fear. Yeah, fear. Yeah, that's a big one. Fear of what? Well, I think that there's this sense of cultural conditioning around this idea that that things are scarce and it's yeah. not enough. Yeah. And um, so I think people walk around in this delusion of scarcity all the time. Absolutely. Yeah. We we giving we have to hold on to it because it's not much. Yeah. I think um, when someone's given a gift a lot of times the person receiving the gift feels like they then owe a debt of gratitude to the person that's given the gift. 
So, you know, like, I give you a gift, like a new car or whatever, or maybe that's an extreme example, you're going to feel like, you know, you owe me something in return, right? Like, so oh. as a giver, you, you worry about that they're going to feel that way? Um, well, I think this is in this is maybe yeah, why receiving gifts that. is hard. Is that mm -hmm. the person receiving the gift then feels that they owe something to the person that's given them the gift? Right, right. I need to reciprocate. We have this, we're big on reciprocating. Right, keeping, keeping, you know, uh, keeping, keeping score. We want to keep score. Keep the score. Keep things balanced. You know, so there's no. Yeah. There's no Don't balance. be in anybody's debt. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It looks, it looks right. maybe lowly or pitiful mm -hmm. or something. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, uh, anything else? That that was a receiving one, I guess. Although it, also, it could work the other way too. If the giver worries about the receiver feeling that way, and then realizing, oh, we're getting into some kind of spiral of giving here. If I do this, <laughs> God, it, the spiral of giving. <laughs> yes. Um, so I think with receiving, one of the things I think. I'm thinking more like receiving um, an acknowledgement, let's say. Yeah. You know, sometimes like somebody will acknowledge me for something, and my automatic response is, oh, you know, or, you know, I don't receive it. I don't exactly. get it. Yeah. yeah. And so what would that be? I don't know. But I think it's part of it is that. You know, usually when somebody acknowledges you for something, it doesn't necessarily fit with our identity. Sometimes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of like in my identity, I'm just sort of like a schmo. I don't see myself that same way. Old, same uh -huh. old. You know, so if I do something, you say, well, Nancy, that was really incredible work or whatever, it sort of interrupts my um, ego in a weird way. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Very well Something said. Like that. Yeah. I uh, I understand that. I think yeah. most people probably do. Yeah. And then I just want to say something about the giver receiver thing because I think it's really an interesting idea. Um, like in this setting, for example, it looks like you're the giver mm -hmm. and we're the receiver. It does look that way. Yeah. yeah. But the truth is if we weren't here Exactly. There'd be no giving. And I'm really, really grateful for all of you being here. <laughs> I am, because it's kind of a funny Saturday. You know, we've been closed all week, and then, and then Labor Day on Monday, and yeah. So I'm very grateful that all of you are here. I really am. Yes. Yeah, so it's sort That's of like point. You, you can't have one without the other. Like, they arise together. Right. Somehow right. there's a right. dance there, like you were saying. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. What's your name? Jose. Jose. Yeah. If I give too much, uh, I'd be concerned that others around me who keep receiving all of these random nice gifts uh, are wondering, what is he up to? Uh, what are his <laughs> motives? Um, uh, he's not generous. What's he on Because when you give... Shifty eyes. <laughs> Yes, yes. You question the motives yeah. the, of the giver. What are they really up to here? I'm sure yeah. they want something for themselves. And they probably do. I mean, we do things for ourselves, maybe just to feel good. But yes, that's a huge one. What about jealousy? Have you ever, have you ever felt jealous about somebody that's so generous that they're giving you something that you 
just don't know how to deal with that. I mean, their generosity, or or maybe having um, awe of somebody, and um, being awe—that's always something that gets in our way of being in awe of somebody. Uh, what was that? What did I have in mind when I wrote that down? Um, well, anyway, it's something that separates us, and it's hard to receive when we're. Yeah. Yes, Mary. What? Yeah, I was going to say what, one of the hardest things I had to do was to accept something from my mother who was an overly generous person. And when I was younger, I just felt like I was depleting her by taking. Oh, uh huh. Mm-hmm. And um, but it, she never is depleted by giving. She's just. She didn't. You didn't get the feeling she felt that way. Didn't yeah, but she? I felt. You like felt this that way. terrible um, way in which I was participating in her exploitation when I was younger because I didn't understand her generosity. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So there's also that kind of some people are more you're taking advantage of. Yeah. Fear. Uh-huh. And sometimes that can be the case. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's an interesting one and yeah, very true. Um, yeah, we project and we project our own fears onto other people. We project mm-hmm. uh, our way of, mm-hmm. of feeling onto what other people think. And, um, what about expectations of gratitude? Mm. Have you ever not given a gift to somebody because, well, like I don't know, I have this family that uh, it's kind of hard to admit this, but growing up nobody ever said thank you for anything I mean we could all be in the same room at Christmas time opening gifts from each other and nobody would even say thank you I only have one nephew whose mother who was married into my family taught him to write thank you notes and uh, so sometimes I don't want to give a gift because I'm going to feel bad when they don't say thank you you know and uh, or, or expecting recognition yeah uh, what's your name? Are you? I'm, my name's Greg. Greg. Okay. Yeah, one thing that I fear when I'm giving a gift is uh, being judged if it is uh, like, oh, you don't really know me. <laughs> exactly. Was um, it's uh, not a great gift. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah, oh, I identify with that um, too. It's, yeah. It's just not Bad taste, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't like green. <laughs> Did everybody hear that? He'll be judged by um, the gift he gives. It won't be good enough, or it won't be. You don't even know me, you know. You don't really know what I like. <laughs> yeah. Oh, there's just so much, so much that gets in our way. Um, Oh, I thought of an, a, another one about receiving, too, and asking for help also is kind of tied into that. Uh, I know I have a fear of receiving something because it's a loss of control for me. Now something's wide open, and I may have to live with, say, if I ask for help, you know, and then mm-hmm. now I'm going to get help, but it might not be exactly the way I wanted it. You know, oh, <laughs> I've got to deal with that, so... So that uh, fear of, of losing of losing control of things and, and fear of being judged and all these are, um, you know, um, a lack of openness on our part on our part to letting things uh, and trusting in that the universe is a good place and that things are going to be okay, 
and, uh, and they may even get better. They could even get better. Can you imagine that? Things could get better. The world could be otherwise. That's the name of Norman's book. The world could be otherwise. Yes. So I brought up this uh, idea of, of, does anybody else have any giving or receiving kind of fears or uh, hindrances that they want to mention, that they want to expose? <laughs> We're well, I just want to say, I, like, I love the idea of, of uh, opening yourself up to having giving and receiving be a flow. Like it's yes. not, okay, you gave me something, now it's mine. It's more like how open I am I to the flow of <clears throat> giving and receiving and letting that happen. Yeah. Like, because that's the way it really is. Yeah. Yeah. Even though we don't see it, you know, we really think we own things, but of course we don't. And when you're completely open to the gift, that's the best gift you can give the giver. You know, that's your yes. gift. You know. Yes. So, right. Uh, when you are completely open and can take it in. I think that's what psychologists say. They say you can take it in. You can take in this. this. Or like you mentioned before, that a compliment, sometimes you couldn't take them in because something in you resisted that that label or that thing. Uh, Tracy. I found it very helpful to remember is the thought that counts. Yeah, <laughs> when Aunt Bertha gives you this ugly, like, candy dish, you know? <laughs> really, really. And I mean that on the ultimate level, too, of our impact on others. Um, it, it's not just what mom has taught me, which is a fundamental life teaching, but it really does ultimately come down to that. What's the intention? What's the feeling? And then there's no strings attached. That's right. Yeah, you know, you're not. Ex you know, it's like well, it, it's it's been offered, and that's as much as I. Yeah. That, that's of course, if you believe that people are basically bad, then maybe the thought that counts, maybe maybe the thought's not a good one. But but that's uh, the whole yeah, thing. Right. If, yeah. But that's the whole thing that can make us generous is really understanding and realizing and believing that people are basically good, even if they try not to be, even if they don't know it. That there's something in everybody that uh, that wants to do good. Some people are pretty inept at it. Uh, <laughs> well, we all but, learn over yeah. time. Yeah, we yeah. do. So if we can honestly believe that everybody has good in them, then it's easy to. It's is always a good one. Well, that sounds a little bit. Overly simplified, I think, but <laughs> um, but the and that people want to give, that people really want to give, and and it don't don't you really want to give? I mean, um, I, I'm going to talk about asking for help, so I'll get into that a little bit. But um, you know, the the two things that the human beings in uh, our society seem to hold up as very important. And everybody wants them, or that's so the story goes. And that's fame and money. And, you know, it seems to be the, the uh, belief that, you know, if you have fame and money, you've got it made, although we have plenty of evidence to the contrary. 
Um, and it's very interesting that the wanting of fame and the wanting of money are are really tied up with being independent. You know, if you have enough money, you don't have to ask anybody for anything. And if you have enough fame, um, well, yeah, I guess the same thing. Uh, you've got a lot of power. And, um, and those are, isn't it true that those are the very things that, that separate us? That, you know, that uh, separate us from other people? So, um, yeah, the very, the very things that so many people think they want are the very things that are going to, that could, well, maybe not make them miserable, but will not make them happy, really, I don't think. Maybe for a little while. Maybe for 20 years, but, you know. Um, so, um, so asking for help uh, can, be, can be hard. It's, it, it can be almost looked at as a... Um, well, it's definitely exposing yourself to and exposing your needs to, to other people, and that can be very difficult. Uh, I want to read something that Bernie Glassman said about this subject. He said, We spend a great deal of energy keeping things private. In doing that, we keep our efforts small and constricted. If we don't share our work and our needs with the universe, we won't receive the gifts the universe has to offer, gifts to make our work easier and more effective. And he goes on to say, Some people have said that I am a magnet that attracts the energy of many activists and teachers. That didn't happen by temperament. It only happened because sharing my goods and dreams with the entire universe is the only way I know of making them come true. Um, uh, there's an interesting uh, custom among Theravadan monks you know, Theravadan is the, the, uh, the ancient Buddhism of the Buddha. And um, so uh, Theravadan is still uh, very much alive, especially in Burma. And um, they follow, the monks, in the Burmese monks and other Theravadan monks follow the um, Vinaya, which is the, the Buddha's rules around monastery life. And one of the things that they are required, I mean, some of these rules are quite difficult to follow. And there's even a Burmese monastery here in Austin that does follow them. And one of our um, person who used to be here in the Sense Center is a, is a monk there. And he doesn't eat after noon, after noontime. He doesn't touch money. Other people have to do that for him. Uh, these rules are, and, and uh, one of the rules of the Vinaya is that the monks are, they, they eat by begging. They make begging rounds every day, and that's how they eat. And there's all kinds of rules. I don't think the monastery in, in town does door-to-door -door begging. Rather, the, the Burmese people that are part of that temple bring the food there for them. But, but anyway, um, so there were all kinds of rules about these, this begging. that They had to go to... Uh, uh, when they were in a town, um, they had to go equally to every part of town. They weren't allowed to just go to the wealthy part of town where they would get better food. They weren't, and they, uh, they had to spread, you know, do everything evenly. They weren't allowed to uh, hide food so that they could get more or, or eat it the next day. They had to eat everything that they got in that day. So they're, they're very stringent rules. 
But one of the big reasons for this rule about not just going to the wealthy places, but also to all the homes in the town, was that they were giving a gift to the people. And that is the gift they were giving was giving these people an opportunity to give. So there we, <laughs> that's the real mingling of giving and receiving. So they were giving people the gift of being allowed to, to give and to be able to share in that joy of, of giving food to uh, the monks. Um, so um, being asked for help, you know, being asked, you know, that the people were being asked to help. So being asked for help gives dignity to, to people. Uh, do you find that true within yourself? How many times are we really eager to help? Yes, and I can get your name. Yes. Nancy. Nancy. So, um, I, think, I think you said something about scarcity, sort of the myth of scarcity. And I can see that, you know, let's say going to a really poor family in a town and giving them the opportunity to, to give, like, that's a gift because you have to have enough in order to give. And whatever enough is, you know, maybe I have two pieces of bread, so I'm going to give you one. But in the act of giving you my piece of bread, I, I a little bit of my scarcity <clears throat> gets challenged. And I think that's one of the opportunities of anyone having the opportunity to give, because we have so much in our culture. It's just yeah. crazy yeah, how is. much we have. <clears throat> and we're still attacked. And we're still like, we want more, 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 more. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, so for me, I'm kind of like in this mood of like, give it away, give it away, give it away, give it away. I don't want it, you know, because it's just, it's like too much. If I keep trying to hold on, and that could be true of physical things, but that could also be true of anything. You know, if I'm holding on to my <clears throat> idea of scarcity around gratitude or scarcity around abundance in the universe, then that somehow keeps me separate. But if I, the more I can just give it away, then it's almost like the more I have it. Right, right, sense. and you can learn that through through doing this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, maybe the, you know, giving probably feels better the less you have, actually. Um, so, uh, so asking for help is, is, is in itself is a gift also asking for help and being able to be open enough to say I need I need help and I think it's really interesting to look into ourselves and see how much we love to be asked for help it's just yeah what is that why do we why do we like that so much I think that's our a sign of our innate goodness that we that we do that What about thank yous, thank yous? When we give a gift completely wholeheartedly, we don't really care if we get thanked. And if we receive a gift wholeheartedly, we may not actually really feel, you know, there's a certain pressure around giving thanks, right? I mean, 
how am I, I can't thank you enough for this. I can't, we, we have a, a pressure that, you know, I guess that's what Rob mentioned, this kind of keeping track and wanting to, to uh, keeping score and, you know, feeling like uh, we, we have to pay back the person by thanking them effusively or whatever. If we can let go of that feeling, then I think that it might be a sign that we're wholeheartedly receiving. Just as not that I'm encouraging, not saying thank you. I'm, I'm not. But um, that, but if we can let go of that strong need to um, to thank, that might be a sign that we're wholeheartedly receiving. Uh, being able to accept a gift without um, gushing all over the place is is also a sign that we trust the giver. That we trust the giver. To uh, the, in their own in their own goodness and understand that they're just partaking in this sharing of stuff, sharing of of the universe. That they and they understand that and um, that they are uh, enjoying this exchange just as much as the receiver is. So it's a matter of trusting the goodness of people. Um, I remember uh, my I started out Zen practice in the Rinzai tradition. And my teacher was Sasaki Roshi out in California. Um, and uh, he was very Japanese. He didn't speak English really well. Uh, in that tradition, you have to go to Dokasan. Well, I, I went out there to go to Sashin's. And uh, I had to go to Sashin, for those of you who are new, as I was, well, in this case, it were seven-day retreats, just meditating and you know, being in a monastery for uh, 24-7. Uh, but anyway, he was uh, an incredible man. You know, he died recently in the midst of, well, not that recently, I guess, but he was 106 years old when he died, and there was a certain amount of scandal. And his, his, he's kind of vilified by a lot of people, but he was an incredibly great teacher, too. And he gave me the gift of this practice. And, uh, but I was a very awkward student. I, I, didn't really know what to say most of the time. I was kind of in awe of the whole thing, and uh, I was uncomfortable, and I would go to Dokusan with him, and even though I knew that this practice was changing my life, and I felt like I, uh, I owed so much to him for that, it wasn't a real genuinely felt feeling, and I, I, I couldn't say thank you, and I felt really uptight about not being able to say thank you to him, but I knew if I said thank you, like in Dogasan or something, it would just sound trite, and he did not put up with trite, not one bit, you know. He wanted real, it had to be real. And uh, so I, I just, I, and I got more and more frustrated, and I felt like I, I can't say thank you, and, and what's wrong with me, and you know. And then one day, one of the monks out there mentioned there was this little bow that we did at the end of Dokasan with him. Uh, it was like it was a prostration, but instead of you know going like that, we put our hands on the floor like that. We made a triangle and put our head into the triangle. That was our ritual bow that we did at the end of Dokasan. And this monk mentioned that that was the thank you bow. And I still remember to this day this incredible feeling of relief that I felt, you know, that I had been saying thank you all this time. And I, here I was so worried about it, which is one of the gifts, I think, that ritual gives us. It gives us a chance to express with our body something we may not be quite able to do with, our, with our, the rest of our being. 
and um, so uh, that was that was a, a, a moment in my life. I I don't know. I just can't believe how uh, how uh, how uh, relieved I felt. And then it occurred to me the other day that the word thank you, which we is in English, but it's in every other language. The word thank you is a ritual that our culture gives us. It's a ritual. You know, we say thank you. We may not feel that grateful. We may have all kinds of doubts about the motives of this person that gave us something. You know, or maybe we'll just remember it's the thought that counts. But but saying thank you is our way of maybe touching a little bit of gratitude in us if there isn't, if it's not there naturally. And it and it's and it's a ritual. And yeah, okay, I like that. So ever since I've been working on this talk, uh, well, I haven't been working on it for years or anything, but I mean, last week or so, when I was thinking, tossing these things around in my mind, I, I started noticing how I say thank you, you know, to people that just, you know, would buy the bags of groceries or somebody opens the door, helps with luggage or all those kind of things. I really pay attention to how I'm saying thank you. And sometimes it sounds pretty perfunctory, you know, just kind of take it for granted, you know. Not that that's bad. I mean, the person that's doing it is um, probably trusting that I'm truly grateful. <laughs> and uh, it's no big deal, but it's helpful to notice how much you take for granted and how much, how much uh, gift giving is going on that you know, we, we don't really uh, pay attention to. Attention to. So um, I wanted to close with a quote. This is from Sablaki Roshi. Uh, if you've heard of him, you may have heard of him as homeless, homeless Kodo. He was one of Uchi maybe he was Uchiyama's teacher. Uh, anyway, he he's a very earthy. He was he, he lived in Japan and he was a very, very earthy guy. He has a bunch of kind of little very earthy koans that uh, you know, don't spare any any words. Anyway, he said, Heaven and earth give a uh, Heaven and earth give, air gives, water gives, plants give, animals give, humans give. All things give of themselves to each other. It's only within this reciprocal giving that we can survive, regardless of whether we're thankful or not. So with that, if anybody has any comments or questions, please. Okay. All right, so uh, it's time. It's time for cookies and tea. So. Yeah, I'll build. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> no thanks, <laughs> Because I totally enjoyed it, and I was I felt good uh, talking to you all, and it always does. Um, so, all right. Let's adjourn to the dining room.